0: Welcome to Season 5 of the podcast of The Urban Mystic. In this season we're exploring relational spirituality. It's rooted in the drawing near and withdrawing of God and and we're really presenting it as an alternative to devotional, formative and introspective spiritualities. There was a significant change in history from an early phase or a primal phase in Christianity where there was a high degree of relational engagement with God and community that actually formed out of that. And that really transitioned to an era of institutionalism and we've continued in that era until the present day and we keep returning to it. So in this episode, um, Steve Carter and myself, Tim Victor, we start with uh, just an overview and a framework of that and don't dive into it in too much detail, but really use that as a springboard to continue this conversation about relational spirituality. Get forget to like and subscribe to our podcast. Please don't forget to leave us a uh, a rating on the favorite platform that you listen on. Feel free to drop us a line or a comment. We really appreciate those and they really encourage us. And if you're so motivated, consider supporting the Urban Mystic. There's a link to PayPal in the show notes and you can use your Android phone or your iPhone to uh, just look at the QR code and you'll be able to make a contribution to us. Steve, I'm thinking that following on from our conversations about relationship, And opening up you know this the the scope and the kinds of relationships that God has we've we've got a little bit of a like an overview that there's God's non-relational relationships as creator and sustainer and then there's there's God's relational relationships where God shows up in in person Mm -hmm. and that that there's a continuum along the way between the two because God God is wanting to be known, even if working behind the scene, aiming to engage us, but there isn't an opportunity for us to engage. God is still moving in that direction. There's a difference in the spectrum of, of God is showing up in person and is present to speak and act and engage. There's, and even within that, there's a range with how God does that. Going back to how we substitute mystery for relationship or if we substitute mystery for presence. I was, I was mm. thinking of just building off of that. In history, we actually have a couple of stages of that. And I wanted to just start off by, by just throwing some stuff out there. If you don't mind a slightly longer preamble from me. Go for it. With mystery, we're working from the foundation of contemplation in the sense that, that we're approaching the mystery of the divine and we're thinking about it or trying to pay attention to it. We're trying to gain a handle on it in one way or another. And I feel like that's the core paradigm that undergirds our spirituality. In that sense, mystery differs to revelation because when we're working with contemplation, we're working towards our, we're looking at our work to make sense of how God could possibly be present, and we're just missing it, right? But as as theists, as, as Christians in particular, we work with the idea that God has worked, God steps in, to speak and Acts, And we've landed up with the idea that it's church and Bible. It's not God directly to you and me. It's it's God through the vehicle of the church and doing church or through the vehicle of the Bible. And I don't think that that's actually where scripture was landing and I don't think it's where the, the awakenings and the renewals like land us at. Basically, taking contemplation means that we we, we end up with character formation towards Christ-likeness in one way or another, and the options is by reading and reflecting on the Bible in our own life. And then on the other hand, it's by spending time with and growing in relation to ourself, which we see between almost like the evangelical and devotional streams, and then the, the Christian wisdom tradition between those two. And I feel like what we're putting on the table as engaging God when present in person, and making that personal engagement the priority, we're, we're differing there from the, those other two spiritualities. Because we're not putting mystery at the center, we're putting revelation at the center. We, or I should say, we're not putting mystery at the center, we're putting presence at the center. So, so that's the that's that's loose thing, right, loose, loose, loose stretch. But I feel like, in some ways, the, the history of, of, of how we land up there actually goes quite far back. I feel like at the start we didn't have an institution called the church we had the people that were called the church and how did they become the church it was through a direct experience of god revelation was at the core so you had groups gatherings of people where you had a high concentration of revelation you had a high concentration of the presence of god which is why the presence of god stuff is so key in scripture and the message of the kingdom of god between the apostles and jesus and the message of the Kingdom of God is all about the becoming present to speak and act of God. That is, that is the staple, that is the core, that is what's, what's consistent. And when people are discipled into the work of ministry, or the work of the Kingdom as disciples, they're discipled into that work of the presence of God, and it's it's not it's, it's, it's essential, it's integral. So you, you had communities of people, and the reason why they were gathered was because they'd encountered the present God. And then, and then they gathered with other people who also encountered the present God. But you had a high degree of revelation. You had a high degree of presence, right? When you get three, 400 years down the line, we've got the institution of the church coming to the fore. And then suddenly, how does Christianity grow? It grows by being citizens of the empire and grows by being born into that. And, and language gets introduced. And that language that is introduced is the language of, 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 of mystagogy of mystery. And it becomes it it actually becomes a thing in in that context in history where a few key people put the the, the language and the concepts on the table and and they basically try to um, try to work it out because what they start dealing with is is the changeover from you know communities that are constructed around the becoming presentness of God to gatherings that are constructed around the liturgy. We gather to do church. They had to ask questions about, so how do we school people into baptism? Like, what are we teaching them for baptism? What are we teaching them around their First Communion? And so we ended up with these, these series of of sermons, of teachings, that basically aimed to introduce people to the ideas around this, but then also with the hope of trying to school them into. Perhaps you'll enter into the mystery of it became the language. Perhaps this mystery you'll discover the presence in and through it. So so that's that's the that's the broadest brush. We've got this significant change in history. And then our spirituality basically builds off that. Why? Because we Christians, are primarily born Christian and go to church, but they they're not experiencing God. Or if they are experiencing God, they're experiencing God through the, 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 the mystery of doing church, the Bible, spirituality, service, etc., etc. But what you've got is you've got a large degree of people that are, are cultural Christians, people that are born into it, people that are doing church. You've got very low degree of revelation. In fact, the becoming presentness of God in a very clear way, like you see in scripture, is not a part of doing church, generally speaking. And, and where it often is, it's related to particular phenomena that are being looked for, as opposed to centred around the, present, the presence of God, per se. It's centred around a particular activity that God may or may not do, whether that's a speaking in tongues or a, the, the roaring laughter and falling over type thing. You know, it's, it, it's, it's different. And I feel like the, focusing on those phenomena is, loses the sense of presence. And we don't have a culture of practising the presence in doing church. Or waiting for God to become present, or even the language for it. So there's so there's that. But that early transition really ends up being the backbone to the modern society. And in modern society we end up with a, with a with a it's this world, it's it's material, we're not looking for in the modern world, it's not it's not spiritually oriented and it doesn't accept the idea that we believe on faith. Because it goes, there's no evidence, there's nothing to support faith. And although we can quote scriptures around that, it basically gnaws at people till we end up in, in a place like today where, some, where a group like OC Africa can do a study and it lands up evidencing that people are going, this thing of intimacy with God is not being met, we're, we're not being fulfilled. And that's amongst those that lead churches. And then that filters down to to people that are in church basically having to build a relationship with the mystery of God in and through doing church. And, and mystery there is not presence. So, so that's, that, that's my logic with it. And in the context of the 20th century, we've had a renewal of spirituality, the one put by Richard Foster and Dallas Willard and others that center around character transformation towards Christ-likeness. And is very biblically orientated in the sense of read the Bible, contemplate the Bible, and so they're going. This is the word of God. So you contemplate this, you review your life, you know, you you build on it. And although they draw on other people, whether it's St Ignatius or a Brother Lawrence or whatever, fundamentally that's they they come down to that. And then on the other hand, we've got the Christian wisdom tradition. And what that says is you spend time with yourself and you build interoception, you build your int- your sense of what's going on inside you, your own inner voice, your own inner wisdom, your own attitude and whatever. And so you arrive at character transformation towards Christ-likeness, to mindfulness and presence, and and relational presence in particular. And I th- I don't feel that either of those spiritualities, as they are renewed and put forward in the 20th century, and the second box is really put forward by people like Richard Raw and Elio Dillo and, 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 and others, right? I don't feel like either of those are very relational spiritualities. Now, now, I have to qualify that because of course they're relational spiritualities. They're dealing with people who are in relationship, right? But they're not relational spiritualities in the sense of going, you've got the general presence of God, which is non-relational, and then you've got the very specific or this very special presence of God that is very relational, that's showing up in person. These spiritualities aren't built around the latter. And then when you take a look at renewal-based churches, Pentecostals, Charismatic, Third Wave Charismatics, even though they've got a box for those experiential stuff, it's basically reduced to a power of prophetic encounter. It's not a box that opens up beyond power and prophetic encounter as an introduction to build on the relational presence of God. So I feel like we've, we haven't ended up with that. And, and what we're carving out here and through the season really is taking a stand for what that relational spirituality could look like and could mean. But the backbone to it is this difference between mystery and presence and how we move from presence in the foundation, the primal phase of Christianity, to to the institution of the church and a spirituality of mystery ever since, and and our language is unclear because we've basically turned mystery into presence, silence into the voice of God, God's absence into into us having to give up the idea of God to accept that God's a mystery that can never be known, you know. Whereas whereas the primal foundation and the biblical text itself and every many of the key figures in history basically counter that because where did they start? What's the foundation to what they produced? It was the becoming presentness of God. Why are they so significant as spiritual figures because they sought to introduce people into that God into that relationship of that personal relational engagement with God. And I feel like what we've landed up with today is a spirituality that isn't looking for that and by and large doing church that isn't looking to do that. So I thought I'd I, I'd really just throw that out here as a box because I feel like in some ways, this becomes a bit of a foundation for the rest of what we build on. Um, and thus, in this my long ramble to start. <laughs> cool. Have I, have I potentially stumped you with an overload there? <laughs> what do you what are you? No, look,
1: it, <clears throat> it's, it's both a lot to take in and not a lot to take in. Because it's not like it's stuff we haven't been kicking around. But you've condensed it into a format that is that is quite, like it's quite dense and it gets a lot of sort of threads all together. I'm just wondering like where to start and what to tease out for the listener in terms of what, what's like helpful. Do we start at the beginning and talk about this, this jump that you're talking about from presence to mystery? Uh, do we look at the whys or do we just ignore all of that actually and just go straight into the, okay, so then what does... I don't want to use language of returning, because I, I think that that's sometimes a little, a little naive, you know, people talk about, oh, if we could just go back to the way it was in the Bible. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, and so, but, but, but you are talking somewhat about, you know, perhaps a couple of hundred years of history of, of things being done in a certain way. And that then there is the switch, and so we're we talking about, in some ways, what does it mean to recapture that? In some ways, what does it mean to actually just be present to, to where we are now and the the authenticity of our own current reality, rather than trying to 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 live into the first or second century, you know. Um,
0: I, I, I'm I'm with you there. I really I really like that because because there's a naivety to that in the sense of going, oh well. The Bible gives us clear models and examples of what they did, and we just have to do that. But there's a world mm, of difference mm. and a massive, you know, temporal and geographic and cultural divides between then and now. So I feel like what happens then is is we try, we often end up trying to repeat the form without repeating the why, because we end up doing church, we don't end up doing the presence of God
1: yeah uh, what i 'm also wondering is is i don't have much to go off of this but on this but i've I've been wondering as well for myself if there aren't some significant kind of relational jumps between the first and second century and now and 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 part of what makes me wonder that is if I look at some of the scholarship around kind of just um the what would we call it? I was not trying to get too kind of caught up in it all, but, but some of the gendered stuff going on two millennia ago in human history, some of the social stuff, some of the socio-demographic stuff, some of the sort of mm. social power structure differences, that are less so now, you know, mm. so it's, it's far less common for a husband to talk about his wife as his property now. For example, you know, yeah, yeah. so without wanting to unpack that at all, I would just make the distinction between potentially the way in which men and women related back then is quite different to now. And, and, you know, one of the things that I've always found fascinating about kind of, quote, unquote, biblical culture, is that there are some things, Rob Bell, I really enjoy, he puts it this way, he says, you know, you, you look at the Bible, and you get so outdated. These people are doing all this weird stuff back then, slavery and, you know, like horrible things, right? Um, but he says, but at the same time, you look back and you read, you know, love yourself and your neighbor. And How well are we doing on that right now? Not so well. So, so, uh, you know, when I talk about the Bible, I'm also talking about the culture in which it comes through. And so I'm talking about the people back then and going, well, there were some things happening then that, that were way ahead of their time and even somewhat ahead of our time. But at the same time, there were also some things happening back then that that were definitely in that time. And I think we have a better understanding of, of human beings and and how we how we grow and develop and how we become healthy expressions of what it means to being a human being. And that there is some sort of sense of an evolutionary journey over the, the millennia and the centuries and the millennia towards where we get to now. And going, okay, so what it might mean for God to show up relationally with people, then it might be a little different now based primarily off my wonderings about wanderings about <laughs> what it means for people to relate to people. And, you know, as we've been talking about how you relate to yourself and others is somewhat of a vehicle in terms of relating to God. And so, you know, I wonder there as well, like, you know, there's, there's a bunch of differences and maybe there's a relational difference there. And so that. To a certain extent means to, 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 to look at the, the primacy of, of what I also to a certain extent see reflected in kind of quote unquote early church of the gathering of these people, which is very much around the something happened, you know, we were praying and, and something happened and, and there was an experience and there, there was this thing, this God, this, you know, people were healed whatever, something happened. And and this ecclesia gathering is is ostensibly around that. It's it's not as some would claim around kind of the preaching and the teaching, so much. I, I wouldn't think. And so there might be some foundational things there, but there is also a way of knowing um, how do I how do I relate to myself now, knowing that I'm both a conscious, subconscious, and unconscious person that might not have been on the table then. How do I disentangle? my verbal voice, my audible voice, from my internal voice, from the voices of, you know, parents and upbringers in society, et cetera, et cetera, and all the myriad voices inside me that are are echoes of my own self and fractured pieces of my own self and what is God's self. Now, I haven't come across much philosophically speaking or theologically speaking that speaks from those angles, relationally, from the first and second century. And so, obviously, I speak under correction here. Just wondering, like, how do we tease that out in terms of what does it mean to be relationally present now? And potentially, I've just gone in a completely opposite direction. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you gave me a mouthful, so I thought I'd give you half one back. There you go.
0: <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I think you make an excellent point there. I think the one thing to recognize is that. There is a very key difference between when we look earlier in history, God was understood to work hierarchically. So, how does God relate? God basically functions via emperor and pope. Like, you can't expect God to speak to the common peasant, right? Except that God keeps going around speaking to a common peasant and upending that. <laughs> yeah. So, so there. So w- difficult. <laughs> yeah. And they used to have very clear boxes. What did it mean to follow God? Well, you gave up your life as a soldier or a farmer, and you became a, an ascetic. You know, you know. So, so there's there's some remarkable differences between society then and what's enabled now. But then, but then the other thing is, in a very hierarchical society, you've got little freedom but little satisfaction. So, you, so the idea of the quality of love and marriage was not on the table it was you you produce children so you've stayed married you know that's what it is there's no such thing as um, there's no such thing as personal satisfaction it's it's contractual and god works primarily through legislation you know along those lines whereas in our society mm. we we've got a quality of relationship in mind that becomes central and critical that wasn't available in society before you know the modern secular society, and the modern—you know—the both modern you know, the post-modern or post-secular society. So things have definitely shifted, and what's come to the fore is—is is not just the contractual status between us and God. Because that was primarily what it was before. Salvation's a contractual thing. Jesus got the IKEA treatment, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. You know, it's a done deal. So it's not a feeling. It's uh, it's something that you accept by faith. And you know what? You're within this this empire. And so so the one big thing that has changed is we've stopped being born as Christians within a society, and that's our faith by default. And and how do we know we're Christian? Well, because we're Roman. And then after that, how do you know you're Christian? Well, you know I'm I'm Scottish, so I'm Presbyterian, or I'm English, so I'm Church of England, or I'm, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it transitioned from being the faith of the empire to f- to fractured to a fractured faith around the nation, yeah. and, and the people. You know, so so you you were a Christian people. You know, like that's that's a big difference. Whereas now one of the other big things is 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 that people might be born within a religion, but they move from their religion to be a secular individual. And then as a secular individual, they're surrounded by religious pluralism. That's very different. There's very different questions that are on the table when it comes to this and the question of God compared to even 100 or 200 years ago, where the idea was even though there are these other religions, at least within the Christian world, those religions were seen as pointing towards Christianity. So so the, the questions were posed and answered in very different ways, and that's both in terms of wh- who, what is God and what does God mean, or the transcendent, is on one hand. On the other hand, is what is a person, and then and then the other thing really is is what's going on with people in relation to themselves, you know, and, and the meaningfulness of their relationship of people to people or people to God, you know. So in mm. the past, I don't think that was on the table, you know, the 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 surf in the Middle Ages <laughs> going to church, you know, like like going to church was God's way of relating to them. Why? Because it was via the hierarchy and via the system. Mm. You know, nowadays you try to impose that on people that go, I don't want that. <laughs> like firstly it's an alien mm. world and culture. And secondly, hang on. I don't think that's a relationship. You know, institutional relating is not a actual relationship with God. And and, and then and then when we when we read history, um, we've got the privilege from our vantage point as a society to look back at least and go, well, we've got access to a picture of that historical world. Whereas in the periods leading up to the modern world, they didn't. The only access that they had was what they were schooled into, which was within the institutional things. And so all your relationships were institutional and they were all hierarchical. And and they weren't about your quality of life and they weren't about the quality of the relationship. They were, they were about you know, keeping the system running, I guess.
1: Yeah, I definitely. I think the, the question about quality of relationship has become more and more a focal point for humanity. Definitively, I think over the last 20 to 30 years, it emerged more and more centrally. Yeah, it's, it's not that it's not there from what I understand, you know, centuries ago, but it, it takes on a completely new nature. It is, is far more individualized. And there's far more importance on each individual experience as it might or might not add to the communal. Um, but it's not subsumed into the, uh, into the uh, institution. It's not, you know, everyone's all just one and the same. I saw a great cartoon the other day that I just thought really, uh, it's, it's obviously meant as a dig at this, but I think it works well in reverse. Ha ha! for whoever drew, drew it up, sorry, it backfired in my mind a little. It's a, it's a picture of a tribe of cavemen. And uh, two of them are standing on the top of a cliff with the rest of the tribe, like just a little bit behind them. And the two right at the top at the edge have just thrown one off the cliff. And uh, so they're the agents of the tribe. And so right behind them is, is a leader of the tribe addressing the rest of the tribe saying, right, is there anyone else here who feels as though their needs are not being met? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think, for me, what I find so, so fantastic about that, because, or let me put it this way, at least the context in which it was shared, led me to believe that it's written from the perspective of people who think talking about needs being met is a caveman experience unfortunately i think it's the other way around and it just shows up that we've actually moved a long way to to actually to take very seriously individuals and their needs and what does that mean then for an intra relationship and an inter relationship and uh, and obviously what does that then mean for the divine relationship and yet there, there there's very real echoes of that if if i just read sort of sacred texts you know and look at what happens with individuals. I mean, we don't even have to go further than that. You talk about the serf and the peasants and whatever. There are stories about the God that meets the individual. And I think that there's always, for me specifically in those sacred texts, there's always a very big tension between individual and community. And I think that's really, really important. I wouldn't go the hyper individualized route but I also don't go the other direction, which I think is what institution banks on, which is the, you know, all faith is communal faith, or, um, you know, I'm not even gonna talk experience because it's a bit anti-experience, but all well, religion is communal religion. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's centralized, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas there's a great tension between, you know, the stories of, of a Paul meeting with God as an individual, and how that ties into his ex community as as a Israelite and Jew and into the new community of these, these people being, you know, who, who seem to be sort of somewhat leaving the Jewish community, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's there's all of that. And I think we see a lot of those textures these days, and that has to then show up with how we are relating with ourselves with others. And then with God, It it's uh, Yeah, there is a necessity for that institution to take more of a back seat in some ways.
0: I mean that's the most excellent point that you that you raise because people that are institution first often go. We're living in a, such an individualized culture, and everyone's concerned about me, myself, and I, and my quality of my relationship with God, as opposed to going. No, it's about the faith. It's about the institution. It's about the endurance of that. Whereas, whereas you're absolutely right. All those key biblical narratives is actually about the individual is the unique discrete individual having that one-on-one encounter you know and and on that basis they go into a community of others who've also had that and that's what i mean on on one level where i go as as the as the early people that were the church there was a high degree of that one-on-one encounter with god and that is pivotal so it's a high concentration of revelation amidst that gathering. And so much so that that it's 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 paradigmatically central. But subsequently, there's very little in comparison to the masses. So, you know, there's how many billions of people that are born Christian and peop- and and the majority of the faith basically goes, eh, if we don't need the experience you know and, and those institutions are saying that for well, the people are also saying that that too and they've also gone yeah I've always been a Christian so you know like, and you know what God's universal so yeah God's all around so we don't need a special encounter I feel like we've got something that cuts against it but I feel like one of the other things that the shift in society changes is it is, is we are presented with a question of what is a fulfilling relationship with God with us whereas prior to that that wasn't the case what's a fulfilling relationship well the Ikea moment with Jesus and the institution that follows, you know, his death, his resurrection, his life, you know, like what he preaches, scripture that's left over, it's, that becomes depersonalized because the minute we go from a high degree of God pitching up in person to speak and act and community set around that, the minute we go from that to it's an institution that gathers in the name and reputation of to reflect on. And but we don't need that one on one. Why? Because we've got the faith established. You know, the minute we've got that, we've got a low degree of presence in revelation and we've got a high degree of 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 mystery, but it's not mystery in a good sense of, ooh, there's a curiosity to explore you. It's a mystery in the sense of going, I've have, I have questions. And faith doesn't have questions. <laughs> and I think it's that backstory that lands us where 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 we are today. But but the, the shift in our society is really one that goes th- where we recognize that f- to relate to a book or to relate to an institution is not the same as relating to a person. And I think that's that's what it is. It gives us this possibility of going, my intra-relational engagement with the idea of God is not the same as my intra-relationship with a God that becomes present, that then becomes the inter-relational engagement. And intimacy with God has primarily got to be that. And so, so I think of texts like Jesus going, my sheep will know my voice. And, and the number one question that comes back when we talk about, you know, hearing from God is people go, how do you know? How do you know, Steve? How do you know hearing from God? Well, you know, Jesus was pretty confident that he should know his voice, right? <laughs> so if we're struggling with that, perhaps, no matter how biblical we are, we're, we're missing something. Or you take it a step further and 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 Jesus talks about, you know, we will come and make our, our home in you, my father and I. That's a step that's a step further beyond what that culture was because, because, yes, Jesus represents the Father. The Father's hidden. And now Jesus is going, I'm going to make the Father known to you. Oh, hang on. That's, that's quite intense because he's, yeah. you know, he's opening something up there. And I just don't feel like we've built a spirituality based on that. You know, and in fact, the notion of faith is not based on that. The notion of faith, I don't feel, is based on relational engagement. It is based on faithfulness and the idea of having a relationship through that faithfulness and, and a relationship through that institution or a relationship through those practices. But it doesn't have relationship in the sense of going, um, we show up to each other. <laughs> you know, we mm-hmm. show up for God god might show up for us in society but but like like that image that you used last week of preparing food for your kids and Mm. they're not present to you while you're preparing they come down to eat and then you leave and you're not relationally present to them while they're having those needs fulfilled or they take the food and they go up to the room you know that kind of relational connection is Mm. is really is really what this change in society makes makes for us i think and our notions of personhood our depth of understanding of, of, of having a psyche within us um, and, and the fact that we recognize that we could be relating to ourselves and is relating to your deeper self the higher self which is God or not is a question that comes onto the table. It, it mm. wasn't possibly on the table beforehand. We do have people mm. basically going, yes, that is the case. But when you compare those experiences of quote unquote God to the experience, quote-unquote, of God in other environments, there's a clear sense of the person that draws near and withdraws, which is not your higher self, Mm, right? mm, mm. But our language, again, is so imprecise in our society because that box of mystery within the context of Christianity becomes a box of mystery now within the context of secular pluralism because this God that can't be known becomes the God that can't be known in a multiplicative way because we've got all these religions that gives us different pictures of God or not God, right? So mm. so so to base mystery, to have a foundation of mystery, does not bring us closer to God. It brings us to an unknowing of God, which I think can be helpful in many situations. But that unknowing is not fulfilled without a moving to a deeper knowing and that being a relational knowing, where what is unknown is is <clears throat> is rediscovered. You know, so let me let me phrase it this way. I can have the notion of, oh, so God is God is a father, and I can know what a father is like. and I can become a father like I have. so I know what a father is like. But then when I encounter God and I encounter God as a in that father role, I get to discover that my father was nothing like God as a father, and I'm nothing like and and I'm not like my father as a father, and I'm not like God as a father. So there I can go, well, God is actually not like a father. But at the same time, the notion of what fatherhood is or being a father is rewritten through that engagement. So that's how the knowing, the unknowing, and what's a super essentialism comes together that actually takes us to a deeper knowing. But if all I landed was going, God is not like a father, then I've unknown, but I haven't come to a deeper knowing.
1: Yeah, that's good. I think part of part of what I would grasp for here is is to, to try and nuance kind of the, the sort of stasis versus dynamic states right is or static versus dynamic state because i think sometimes the knowing sounds very much destination oriented so not that this is what you're saying but i think the language can can almost suggest so before you become a father You don't know what it is to become a father. Then you become a father and then you know what it is to become a father, right? If you read that statically, it means at the very point at which you hear the first cry of the newborn or hold the newborn in your arms or whatever it is, suddenly you are completely aware and present to every every inch, every possible nuance of what it means to be a father. And that's not true. And so in knowing, there is also the awareness of great mystery of unknowing. But even that is not a static position. Because the mystery is a relational fuel, in a way, because relationship thrives of mutual self disclosure, revelation, mutual connection, mutual meeting of needs, etc, etc. You can't do that with a static mystery, because how do I meet this thing's needs? What do I say? What do I do? Are they here? Are they not? And and that kind of ambiguity does not foster relationship. It actually kills relationship. But mystery that's enticing, for example, I can tell you so far at an experiential level, Oh, even this requires nuancing. Let me try and make it simple, and then, and then, and then scatter into a thousand pieces. I can tell you what it's like to be the father to an eight-year-old girl, because I've done that so far. Well, I will have uh, by Saturday when she actually turns eight. <laughs> so, right. I can I can tell you theoretically what it's like to be a parent to a teenager because I've I've studied that and I study it all the time and I work with parents whenever I get the chance to, to look at how do we become better versions of ourselves as human beings so we can parent better. But I haven't lived in a household with a teenager that is part of me that I care that deeply for that irritates me that deeply, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, all part of the parenting journey, right? But then I also, I can't claim to have, I can't claim to be the father to an eight-year-old girl either, not in totality, because there's been parts that I've not been present to, parts that I've missed, parts that I have sort of watched at a distance, parts that I've tried really hard to and still got wrong. Um, and so there's all this nuance involved with, with what it means to, I mean, so I've got three kids. So my third kid might get the best version of me as a parent to an eight-year-old after I've tried it out on two other eight-year-olds, for example.
0: There I'm hearing an ever-changing dynamic father in relation to ever-changing dynamic children.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So there's all of those variables at play. And so I'm, I'm not suggesting that you're saying that I'm offering this just to nuance what you're saying because the language needs, it needs that color for us to really see because otherwise it, it can sound like, well, I didn't know what it was to be a father, then I met God. God is a father, now I know what a father is like. But but that's not a very mysterious space to be in. That that's a very clinical. Well, there's three ways in which God expresses fatherhood. Boom, 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 done. Okay, let's move on. Now there's three ways in which God expresses kingship. Boom, boom, boom three ways in which God expresses servanthood, you know, it gets back to that equation level stuff. But that's, that's not, that's not relational interaction, relational interaction is risk, and is mystery in amongst everything else. And so there is the question of, well, what am I going to be like as a father to a nine year old? I don't know, I'm stepping into that. And I'll discover parts of it. And I'll do it as present as I can to myself. I'll do it in in, in, a, in as present a way as I can to God to to my partner to the actual child that'm I'm, I'm trying to be a father to um, to the other children as they you know because there's that dynamic right because not only does my eldest get to experience me as a father to her as an eight-year-old, but the next one down the line watches as a five-year-old as I father an eight-year-old and picks up on that. And there's all those kinds of levels of things that play out in a very dynamic way. And perhaps I'll do some of my best work with eight-year-olds when I'm a grandparent, who knows? But the mystery, who knows, is, is also not a static like, well, we can't know, we'll never know. There's an enticement into deeper knowing and for me, I said this last week, knowing is, is very much the relational process. It is the, it is essentially the intercourse between two agents of going deeper and going further and more intimately and more curious and more revealed and more and, and, and I, yeah, i think that's that's very much based on the nature of of relationships um
0: i I like that because on on one hand we 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 end up with if we maximize god as mystery we end up with the idea that that god or mystery is then vague impersonal and essentially unknowable yeah and especially if we have it in a static state right yeah but if we go god as ultimate mystery and and steps forward to be known. Then we go, God mm-hmm. is, is, a, is a mystery that we start out when we're looking for. is vague, hard to find, you know, impersonal, essentially unknowable, like can't relate to it, can't discover it. But we come to discover that God is the person who steps forward and is actually dis- distinct, personal, and self-revealing, in the sense that that this is a very distinct someone that steps forward to announce and make oneself known. And, and who wants to enter deeply into relationship not only self-revealing but also deeply relational and so in, in that case we've got a we've got a static in, interplay between the two so so the difference is also then we're going god is not a statically known about god we you know we have an idea of god god is ultimately only known relationally so, so to know God as an idea is to have a static idea, or, or you know, a theological construct, a, a a faith block, you know, like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But that idea of God must essentially be displaced by the person, and that person might go, "No, I want to. I want you to unknow what you think of me," or we'll go, "Hang on, what I thought of you is a close approximation of you," but it can't it can't stand as proxy for you. I have to let that go to engage you. And I think in mm. both cases, we are dealing with the dynamic. And I, I really like the way you put that. Um, I mm, hadn't thought mm. of it that way before, so I'm, I'm definitely going to plagiarize that. <laughs> oh, cool.
1: But, you know, even as you describe that stepping forward, I think is a dynamic process because because so, oh, so many thoughts, so little surface tongue of surface space, what oh, surface area of tongue and mouth to get it out. So God as person steps forward and says something. Now think of that in the person to person, right? So let, let's talk about first meeting. You and I meet at first and we say some things to each other. Perhaps we have coffee for an hour. I step forward and I both reveal myself to you and I interact with you in a in a revealing relational way, but I also interact with you in a mysterious way. That is part of the dynamic process happening, because I am telling you who I am. But if you are relationally attuned, I'm asking as many questions as I am revealing, because there's only so much I can transmit in one hour when we meet each other for the first time. And you as a person will go away with your entire history and makeup, etc., through as the lens through which you you read that interaction. And perhaps that will have that will have an effect on some of the things that I'm directly revealing to you, I'm saying to you, I'm I'm exposing myself to you. But at the same time, I'm similarly not. There are parts of me that I'm hiding, parts that I'm holding back in a first meeting, parts that that you know, this sounds overly simplistic, and and I feel like I'm back in evangelical church circles, but parts that you're not ready to hear about. (laughs) Because we have to lay a foundation of knowing before we build that kind of bridge, of which we share these kinds of things. And, And so I think then of like human to divine interactions and go, many of my interactions, at least have been, some of them have been quite fleeting, some of them have been longer. But I am yet to experience, and, and so I'm not saying that this doesn't happen because I haven't experienced it, but I'm yet to experience like like a six-hour conversation with God kind of experience, for example.
0: I, I've, I've had that. <laughs> I must admit.
1: I, I know, which is partly why I, just, I put that out there so clearly. So, but that allows for me to go away and go, there is a person that steps forward, a person that that has now been known. And there has been an interplay between the two of us. There is some revelation, there is potentially even some newness. But the more I become attuned, the more I'm aware, that's not the whole thing, necessarily. And so there is perhaps more to come. And so there is some mystery, which I'm enticed by. But it's not a mystery of, it's not possible to know. There's no desire to reveal, but that is part of the, of the longitudinal sort of manifestation of relationship.
0: That totally makes sense. And, and I think just staying within the, the, the notion of the static versus the dynamic, static knowing looks like God left us a book. And so we can know everything about God in that book. We don't need the one-on-one because we've got faith and we've got the good book and we've got the institution right? Static unknowing looks like, well, you know, Jesus went up in the cloud and he was veiled again, right? After having shown himself, he, he retreated, which again supports the idea of just go to the book or leave the book aside and move beyond. So, so we end up with, the, with, with these two positions of, of static and people wanting to push the static. Jesus, Bible, church, blah, blah, blah. And then on the other hand, you've got people wanting to push the static unknown. No, give up Jesus, give up the Bible, give up the church. You know, like in a sense, like withdraw. Because why? God is ultimately mystery. So ultimately God is the one who veils himself again so that she cannot be known, right? Mm. And I think that's, that's different. Your, your encounter, your social encounter there, describes people who show up and initially meet each other. And there's mm. a starting to know each other, doing an activity together. And then they withdraw. But then they show up to each other again. Yeah. And they build, and then they withdraw, and that language of God's drawing near and God's withdrawal is is, is what I refer to as being present there in Genesis from the start and throughout. Mm-hmm. What we what we've developed is 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 perhaps the idea of of peak experiences. Again, the relationship is static. We don't have a dynamic moving show up to be present to a God that moves to show up to be present to us as a spirituality. We'll end up with the notion of like, well, mountaintop experiences are once in a lifetime, you know, and you know, Moses mm. went up the mountain once, <laughs> you know, and we don't follow that up with, well, you know, every day for 40 years after that, that cloud came to meet him in the tent of meeting mm. and every morning he'd go mm. there. You know, so we don't have a, we don't have that in in our box. We we've got the idea that that God did that for a certain time only to produce this book, really is what it comes mm. down to, because the book is the ultimate expression of the Word of God, and there was a person for a time, that we call the Word of God, right? And, and I think, I think, I think what we're doing and what our age opens up is the notion of of the one-on-one relationship with that God that does become present or can potentially, but in our society. We've got these two static positions that are held. The static position of faith and the static position of mystery. <laughs> whereas mm. The, mm. whereas whereas we need both, we need to understand that God is the one that does draw near and that God is the one that does withdraw.
1: Mm.
0: But neither is neither is the final. There's gonna be that relational becoming present withdrawing throughout and and we mm-hmm. need we need the language for both and we've got to got to push into that but at the end of the day it's not a full revelation even though our clearest revelation is Jesus right but it's also not a full mystery in the sense that we give up Jesus the minute we embrace mystery and I feel like we yeah. start leaning in those directions depending on the degree to which we want to emphasize faith static or it's degree to which we want to emphasize mystery. And often that ends up being because, well, you know, I I spoke to someone and they were a very nice person. And in fact, they were more Christian than Christians, you know. Mm. Um, so, So if Christians can be horrible and these people of the other faith can be so nice, then what does it mean for them to be you know, I mean, we can't call them Christ-like because they're in another faith, but somehow they're still more Christian than Christians. You know, so, 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 so we've got this language go- going, and in that sense, what we what we've done is 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 we've definitely put a, a deals or a, or a, or something else in place of the presence of God. The minute we start going into those those kind of details, right? And because again, there our notion of what a Christian looks like is often static. Well, a Christian is this person is. You know they're they're morally perfect, and oh my goodness, especially if you've met God, you must be morally perfect because, you know, all the saints are right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, as as yes, the stories were told long after they died. But I'm very sure that people that knew them would contest that. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
1: You know, as I think about that static and dynamic sort of, uh, I I think of that line that you 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 talked of earlier. So the sheep will know my voice, right? And I think, so, the incorporation of the two, which is how you put it, which I think is so good. So the static on the one hand is, is well, the sheep will know my voice. So that's just one of those simple equations, right? Again, it's the three steps to knowing Jesus's voice. The, the overly mysterious is, well, actually we're going to rewrite that. The sheep will never know my voice because there isn't a voice. Or my voice is somewhat esoterically, Interwoven through absolutely anything in such a way that it's no longer recognisable, you know. Because a, a voice that sounds like absolutely everything is—is is that a set of voice? Whereas then if you can combine the two, there are ways for me to both know and not know God's voice. So, if you can combine the two, then there's ways in which there's a real interplay there, right? So, there are ways in which. I'm aware of the voice of God or becoming more and more aware of the voice of God. And that feels like it needs a million caveats, but I'm just going to leave it like that for now. There's some, there's some, some stasis to that, right? It, it, it sticks, it's, it's, it's somewhat of an absolute statement, I have heard the voice of God. But at the same time, there's also some mystery, some revelation, some, some yet to be space there because some of the ways in which I listen are through some of the experiences that I've had in life, some of the fracturing of my own self, some of the, the dispersion of my own internal self. And so some of the voices that I hear I'm coming to grips with, or I am becoming familiar with are actually parts of myself. And so my interacting with that statement is not as simple as just, well, it's just that easy. It just sounds like this or it doesn't sound like that. But there's a sifting through my life experience as I grow and as I embrace the mystery of who I am and I look into the mystery of who is this revealing person that, you know, is somewhat mysterious because they are revealing. So for you to be constantly revealing things, you have to have held some things back or have more to show or whatever. So there, there are some things that are if not hidden, because hidden sounds furtive, it sounds, you know, with, with, with sort of evil intent. That's not my intention. I just think relationships grow over time as people share more. And so there's more to share. And so there must be a growing, evolving reality to the sheep know my voice. There must be a growing relational attunement to what that voice sounds like over time it's not necessarily as though it showed up once perfectly and it'll always sound the same. There might be nuances, there might be ways in which I hear it far more clearly, or there might be seasons in which I hear it far less, perhaps. But even that, I see more as process as opposed to just a static reality now. Um, But that doesn't mean that I can't tell you that last week I didn't hear something from God because it's still to be revealed. It's still so mysterious. I can't even do anything about that. And so I like how you, how you sort of talk about sort of the blending of it both is in it and it is yet to come almost is the sort of biblical language I want to use, which is, which is a picture of a relationship because a relationship both is. So you're in my friendship, it is. It's about as concrete as you can get. It exists. But it also exists in a form, which will, which will be very different in 10 years, I'm certain, as we've known each other more as we grow to trust each other more as we share more just, even by just the, you know, the, the, by the passing of time, there is more time in which to verbally process more of who we each are and share that with each other. And so in 20 years' time, we will know each other's voices in different ways. In deeper ways, there will be sort of phrases and, and sort of little, I don't know, how would you describe that? It's, it's more than just verbal. There's it's kind of verbal and non-verbal communication, little ticks, little nuances that you start to pick up on the person that they might not even have to verbalize something. They raise an eyebrow, they clear the throat, they shift, they put up a hand, they, they give you a hug. There's, there's things that just that just keep moving a relationship forward in its depths and its maturity. And so I know your voice now, Tim. But when I use that phrase in 10 years time, I will mean it in a far deeper way because we've gone from this static to reality What to what will then be a static reality in 10 years time. But at the same time, it's dynamic, it's constantly in flow. And, you know, as you quite, you know, you put it so well, it has to do with our showing up, and sort of retreating, again, that's not quite but um, present and absent, there's a there's a flow there in that, as we interact with each other. Um, and, yeah, again, that, for me, is the best blueprint that I can bring to, to start to actually just rationalize out and and pass out. What do I mean by relating to God? And and I think perhaps it, even there, then it, it is both that, and it's not.
0: Yeah, I must say, I, I I like that because because again, it goes knowing over time differs to knowing as introduction, and it differs to knowing as uh, like avoidance or non-engagement. Because uh, you know, and, and we'll still we'll still get to that. But there's there, there are ways in which people. Respond to the question of experiencing God that actually basically shows you what they're doing or what they're practicing Mm -hmm. And 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 there are people that basically go I don't need to experience God like that Or I had an experience like that, but you know what? I've never looked for one again Or I don't think it's possible for me to have a relationship with God like that even though it's possible for others you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a number of ways in mm. which people can 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 land up with this. But I, I just come back to, again, and, and maybe that's just my hobby also now, is I don't feel like we've got an established spirituality that basically says, Steve, Tim, you can have a one-on-one intimate relationship with God, and you know what it looks like? It looks like the following. And, and that isn't you have a daily devotional reading a book. <laughs> right. What it looks like is this growing relationship that might even take the following phases or you might want to, or you'll discover the following in terms of how God speaks or how God leads you or how God responds to where you're at in your life. You know, it gives you the sense that God cares about you and wants to show up for you in the same way that you're married to someone and and when they go through stuff, you actually want to hear them on what's going on. You want to show up for them in terms of their needs, mm. right? And vice versa. Mm. Mm. We don't really our prayer box doesn't allow for response. And I think that's where the language of intra and interrelational dynamics then starts going into relational transactions. Who's being active, who's being receptive? You know, and in many cases, when we get to the language of prayer or spirituality, we're active, directed towards God. But is God speaking back to us? I mean, we can go maybe if we're open to the mystery box. But if you phone me and I pick up the phone and I hear your voice, not only mm. have you exercised your agency in dialing into me, but when I pick up the phone and I hear your voice, I recognize your voice. That's what I think Jesus is referring to when he goes, my sheep will hear my voice, will know my voice mm. because they're going to recognize it. And, and, and how are they going to recognize it from familiarity with it, right? You don't recognize a voice that you don't know. You mm. recognize voices that you become familiar with, even if they're people that you don't know personally, you know, an actor, a mm. Mm. public figure of some kind, etc., etc. But for people that you know personally, their voice and recognizing their voice becomes an easy thing to you, even if the line is bad. And I feel like we don't put enough of that on the table in terms of our spirituality and the possibility of it. Because I I feel like a spirituality of that's rooted in older ideas related to the denial of the self or self-abnegation and the eradication of my will, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. very different to a modern thing where self-actualization becomes key. There's a big difference between self-abnegation and self-realization. Well, well you know, self-like the transcendence of self, the growth of the self as we understand it today. And so mm. our language there needs to be translated and yet our spiritualities have not been So we've got these these spiritualities there that character formation is me giving up my will as opposed to my will coming into alignment with god but me fully owning my will the end point is the same thing you know in terms of practice but the language around it is very different you know and so so there's a lot of things like that as well that i feel like uh, and yeah perhaps i've just in my thought just gone back to earlier how have things changed over time there's a lot Mm -hmm. that's changed over time and our, our spirituality our devotional spirituality doesn't primarily put us in touch with the God who's relationally present to us in person. It puts us primarily in touch with a mediated relationship. Like I relate to a text and yes, I might also hear the voice of God, but it's a, it's the add on to the text as opposed to, you know, the, the text is secondary to the, to the presence.
1: And I think, you know, without wanting to do too much diagnostics, but to just point us forwards, I think. I think part of the reason for that is that it's real. it's comparatively, it's a lot easier to provide guidelines around mediated experience, and to just institutionalize. Um, I mean, you can, you can, I mean, if you just look at all the three point sermons and the seven point preaching series, etc. And, and, you know, all those sorts of things like it's actually relatively easy to just codify that sort of stuff. And, and just present it packaged for people. But to articulate a, a relational spirituality, I think is exceptionally difficult because you have to come up... See, what I'm referring to in the first instance is that it's very broad, it's very general. So it's quite easy to aggregate out. But the problem with aggregations is that you can miss the personal than the individual there. So I I rely on Parker J. Palmer, who was a Harvard professor who's written some phenomenal things. And and he talks about the idea of, you you take a class with 10 children in a class and we use the language of the average mark in this class is 60%. So the average student is a 60%er in this class. But then when you actually look at the marks from the children, you have five of them at 40%, five of them at 80%, and your average mark is 60, not one of those children are receiving 60% as a mark. So that average person actually doesn't exist. And, and, and so, you know, when we talk institutional, et cetera, you, you can provide these broad strokes, general ways of, of looking at things that even can get relatively specific and we can still never touch on the actual individuals that make up the whole. And that's where I think the relational spirituality has such a challenge, because there has to be, and to my mind, at least so far, there has to be some broad brush strokes around what is healthy relationship, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But part of the key is again to hold this tension and go, but if I'm to do this would be my first stab at if I, if I'm to do relational spirituality, I have to take very seriously that relationships are a important, that B, there is a healthy and unhealthy way to go around them. And that C, they take place firstly in one-to-one format before they go any broader than that, which means if I'm to do a relational spirituality with you, Tim, or you with me, I need to show up alongside you. And I need to take a very specific interest in you. But at the same time, I also have to take a very specific interest in myself because I have to be aware of myself and who I am and who I am with myself and how I am and how that person who intra-relates will then show up and manifest in an inter-relationship between me and you. And then I have to leave space for the further inter-relationship of you are having an intra relationship within yourself and an inter relationship with God and because I'm involved I'm having an intra relationship with me and God and with you and me and God and it already we're off the charts complexity wise <laughs> and and I can do all the you know I, I've got it's quite a, a reasonable experience in you know, personality difference and measuring and um, systems and all those sorts of ways of thinking. But none of that might be exactly you. It might, again, give me some, some pointers in a direction, but I still have to do the time to show up within me next to you to process how you are showing up within you. And there has to be space for you relating to God. And that's the simplest way I can slice it right now. And if I were to do that with anybody else, the variables might change exponentially in terms of even just how I'm relating within myself to that person relating within themselves, to the stories they're telling, to the narrative of their life, to their experiences, etc. And that's before I even throw on the table how God is manifesting and choosing to interact with each individual and potentially how god is interacting with me in the space in which i'm interacting with you or whoever this poor other individual is that i'm inflicting myself upon and and it's it's incredibly difficult and i find i find that one of the hardest things that i have to do at the moment is if i talk to someone Is not to click back into default kind of institutional theological thinking when I engage with them, and to really hear them tell their stories for who they are for what they're experiencing for what they're saying. And at the same time, you know, I know I also need to be listening to what they're not saying to what they're saying that they wish they weren't saying to what they're saying, which is a doorway to what they would hope to be able to say to all of those sorts of things. And not just go, oh, well, here I've got a theory from this theorist and this will solve your problem or I've got a piece of Bible text or whatever. And that's exceptionally hard work. It's 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 both enlivening and very, very like tiring. And that's potentially why we don't and some of the pitfalls and the obstacles towards going about it. But I also think that to my mind, it's, it's an arrogant statement, but it's the healthiest expression I can think of, of life at the moment, which is to be as relationally interconnected, interconnected, and be open to the interconnectedness with the divine. And be aware of all of that in one big Venn diagram towards kind of what I would then also just sort of run back to the sacred text and talk about the abundance of life picture, that I think Jesus is talking about. And I think relational spirituality would give us a shot at an abundance of relational life and interconnectedness. But that's some of the stuff we'd have to pass out in, in, in figuring out what, is, like, what could that actually look like.
0: The, that bit that you mentioned about the aggregate and not actually having that present in the room is that when we aggregate the average congregation against scripture and we weight it in favor of scripture, Of course people hear from God and they're all in the Bible. (laughs) When we weight the average congregation against you know uh, two millennia of spirituality and, and and people that are known for things we've got so many like great examples but within any generation they were few and far between. And given the number of people that we have in the world today that are doing church and religion as never before we've got very little return on investment. We're not producing people that are on par with the greatest examples in history. So what we've got is we've got the equivalent of the A student that pulls everyone's grades up. And in every group that we get into, we pull from history. So we're pulling, we're pulling the results of people that are mm-hmm. not alive and at present and amongst us, and we're using them to buff up the average. And we're not finding people within our communities that that end up with that high level of you know it's judgment language and my brain is very tired I'm sorry but but basically we we, we say we're pulling 20 different people's results and we've got a community of, of, of 80 and we're all functioning at 10, 20 percent, and they're up at the 90s, and they just pull our our average up. (laughs) That's what I feel like we're doing when we rely on Scripture and history and the weight of tradition to go like, yeah, look, we're on track, and because we've got this thing that we're doing, therefore we're on track with them. I feel somewhere in there my tired brain is tripped up in something. But <laughs> No, look
1: look, I I I think it's a rather blunt and, and cynical take on our situation at the moment. But I do think it's also I would acknowledge that, rooted. Yeah. yeah, but I do also think it's to my mind, it's rooted very truthfully, unfortunately. But I would acknowledge that that's very much from a relational perspective. And and I think that's where people have and would argue with us. Is that it's actually working perfectly fine for many traditions and many churches, and to them I'd say, well, fantastic! Like all the best, carry on, good luck with that. But I, I don't, I, I cannot ignore in the sacred texts the the waiting, uh, as in as in the metric of weight on the personal interactions. It's it's through and through.
0: Well, well, I think I also can't ignore the waiting within myself in terms of my desire. Sorry to interrupt yeah, 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 yeah.
1: No, no, that's, I, was, I was getting there. So I think that that's what I think is, is something I was going to say earlier is it's really helpfully bookended is, you know, we were talking about first and second century and the, the weighting of experience is I would be somewhat skeptical of that if it wasn't bookended. You know, the last two millennia were bookended with that on the one side. And the present day experience on this end, in that myself, yourself, others do self report, there is experience, there are things that happen, there is a voice that speaks, there is a God that shows up. And that has to be taken, I believe, well, I can't not take it seriously, but I do believe it has to be taken seriously. And, and I think to talk about relationship with God, and that's not all church traditions that do that, but there's a number of them. To talk about relationship with God, but to miss the personal is missing it. To relegate relationship with God to just institutional ritual is also for me missing it. To relegate it to the mystery of God is somehow everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. For me, is missing it, especially when it's backed up by present-day experience on the one end, and a tradition that, to my mind, values experience. I reluctantly agree with you, <laughs> with your estimation, and and even there, you know, I would say one of the footnotes I put in there is that we are speaking at broad broad brushstrokes. You know, this, I mean, we're we're painting over, you know, a billion people or so is worth expression of Christianity at the moment. And so we, I'm aware essentially of the language of aggregate working against me right now, even though I've just used it, completely aware of that. But I don't think it's wrong.
0: I think perhaps the the language of the exception justifying the norm is has got to go together with that language of the aggregate, because I know one of the counters that people I often have is going, yeah, but that also happens amongst us. We also had someone who wasn't in church down the road at home, and God spoke to them, and that that happened to them once. So of course we've got this, and it's fulfilled. Or, you know, there was someone in church, and you know, God spoke, and you know, and so so I, I want to use the language of going in in the world of what we value we prioritize and what we prioritize we practice we give very little portion of our service to any kind of okay god you take the stage let's wait on you to do something how much time do we give to that and that's that's very little so 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 i think i think i want to I, i want to respond with that as well because i i think i think it's easy to go no tim in particular, um, maybe you'll just get lumped in, guilt by association. <laughs> Steve, Tim, Steve, you uh, you paint a very cynical picture, but we've got stories where God has shown up, and you know we once had a prophetic word, or you know it happens, you know, and you you know anyway, and so there's there's questions that can follow, like is it the average person, is it the majority of people in the church, or is it just one person, you know, etc. etc. And I think I think there's things that we could follow up with, but but like you say said earlier, that's perhaps something that we've we've got to pass that parse, parse out at another time.
1: Yeah, look, essentially, for in my in my mind, that's the same maths uh, equations at play there, because it's as you say, it's it's borrowing the exception, and sprinkling that into the pot, and then going, see, it all tastes salty now. It Must all be made of salt. Well, <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and I think that's, that's what we're hoping to put on the table, an alternative, which says, okay, so well, <laughs> what if it wasn't just the exception? Or what if it wasn't just, um, you know, everyone's average being pulled up? Because, you know, well, Paul had that and Jesus had that, et cetera, et cetera, And we're buddy, buddy with them through reading the scripture. So then that means we're okay as well. What if we took seriously the fact that it's A, possible, and B, uh, yeah, maybe I'll leave that for C, B, there seem to be people that are wanting that and, and are then in resonance with that part of tradition and experience. And C, well, I wonder whether you know, there is a God that still wants that as well. And so he's also still showing up. And there is, there's also that side of the equation, which is, you know, the relationship is not just one-sided. And I think that's something else that I'd love for us to parse out, because that parse out, that language is, as well can be sometimes misleading at surface level of, you know, if you phone today, rush now, you'll get an extra 20% off relational spirituality. You can have the relationship with God you've always wanted. You know, it could sound very much like just another one of the equation things, which is, well, if you just do A and B and C and D, then, you know, guaranteed everything's going to solve. But relationships don't work like that because, you know, category C, there there is somebody on the other end of the line, there is a God that is also both acting, that is being present and withdrawing. And so absolutely there are things that can aid relational spirituality, but it doesn't put you in the driving seat and mean you control the relationship. It is something that you engage with and you experience. And so I'm aware in my mind, in my own experience, and as I look into history and tradition, that there seems to be a God that shows up and behaves as she wishes to, when she wishes to, and how she wishes to, and calls for, calls for that, uh, the, the response, the engagement, the... Reciprocity, etc., the collaboration, even because I, I also don't even I wouldn't even be switching it around and going well when God shows up, uh, she calls all the shots and tells everyone what to do. Yeah, I think it's I think it's far more collaborative than that it, it would seem.
0: That's possibly a good place to to draw this to a close. <laughs>